Welcome to this informal meeting for members of 12-step fellowships who are interested in recovery through the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Alastair and I'm an alcoholic. To set the tone for the meeting, I will read an extract from the preface of the big book. Because this book has become the basic text for our society and has helped such large number of alcoholic men and women to recovery, there exists strong sentiment against any radical changes being made in it. Therefore, the first portion of this volume, describing the AA recovery program, has been left largely untouched in the course of revisions made for the second, third and fourth editions. The section called The Doctor's Opinion has been left intact, just as it was originally written in 1939 by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, our society's great medical benefactor. At tonight's workshop, we will start at uh, in chapter four, we agnostic, so it's about a third of the way down page 46, uh, with the paragraph starting, yes, we of agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences. And Tim will work through the text paragraph by paragraph, pausing for questions. If you have a question, please use the raised hand function in Zoom, or you can message me through the chat function and I will ask Tim directly. We'll try to close around the hour mark. And with that, I will now hand over to Tim. Thank you. I'm just going to save the appropriate screen. Uh, good evening, everyone. Tim Alcoholic. Uh, I'm not quite sure why anyone else is here. I'm here because I was asked. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, that's always the case with AA. You get there, then you wonder, why am I here? But then you make the best of it. Um, I think that's true in general, and it may be true on each individual occasion. Yes, we of agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences. Let us make haste to reassure you. We found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results, even though it was impossible for us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. So, well, this is very good, isn't it? So, um, uh, if there is a so, what is a prejudice? Um, a, a prejudice is a. Uh, I think in this context, is a preconceived idea. So, like a sort of ready-made idea. Uh, there's a sense of pre in advance of something, in advance of what, in advance of the revelation of even more evidence. We're about to engage in a process which is going to reveal more evidence. So we think the matter is closed, but the program is going to, because we're engaging with this power grace in ourselves, is going to reveal more evidence. So we have to set aside the current conception. I was talking to someone about step two. Are they here? No, they're not. Probably a mercy. Um, I was talking to someone about step two. And he, he, he said, and I, and I understand this. He said, I still think I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Um, I said, well, the trouble is, uh, for me to, for us to examine that statement, you've got to define God. So I don't believe in God. Well, what is the God you don't believe in? Have you examined all religions? No. Well, how do you know that you don't believe in a God as defined by some religion you haven't yet examined? What's the, you know, the official, I don't know if I mentioned this last week. I can't remember what website I went to, but uh, I, I think it was, a, if one dare say, a kosher Catholic website, uh, a legitimate, uh, I think it, 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 it was one which, which spoke with legitimate authority about what the Catholic faith is. I, can't, I tried to look for it again, and I couldn't find it. But it had a catechism, and I think it had it had the you know the, the Vatican seal of approval, whatever it was. And it said, "What is God?" And the first thing it said, because the thing that sponsors say nine times out of ten, unless they I mean, unless they've just been released from a seminary, um, uh, what they usually say is, well, "I don't believe on the man, and, uh, I don't believe in the man on the cloud." And this website, it said, "God is God is spirit." This is the official Catholic doctrine, apparently. What is spirit? Well, you don't believe so. In atheists, you don't believe in spirit. Then, well, what is spirit? And then you see, you just end up down, going down a rabbit hole. So the easiest thing is to just set the whole thing aside, and are working understanding what the higher power is. If you've got someone, I realise 
I always use Susan as my general example of a person in AM. Of course, we have a Susan with us this evening. Uh, so this is not meant to uh, uh, single you out and be aware I've been using the, the, the name Susan for donkey's years. Uh, so uh, let's say Jennifer. So there isn't a Jennifer here tonight. So our working understanding, our working notion of the higher power is if, if you have a, a long-term sober person in your home group called Jennifer, uh, the power great God is that which keeps Jennifer sober. We need not know more about it than that. If Jennifer has done the steps, it's what's keeping Jennifer sober. Um, uh, and so all I need to do is trust in whatever is keeping Jennifer sober. And then uh, anything else can be added to that. And that's the point about the, uh, uh, the point in having an open mind is as opposed to prejudice, which is the opposite, is that one can, uh, one can then allow ideas to be bolted onto it in as far as those ideas are consistent. Now, this is a terribly important point. Well, I think it is. I suppose you should be the judge of whether it's important. But sometimes people get themselves tied up in the most frightful knots in step 11. I mean, I've done it. I'm sure other people have, where, uh, you know, in the course of one day, what do they say? Do they say it about Texas weather that in Texas in one day you can have a snowstorm and, and a, a heat wave and, and lightning and a tornado all in one day? Well, you can have that with religious things. You can go to your meeting in the morning and there's some sort of Emmett Fox reading. And then you consult your sort of tarot and angels cards in the afternoon. And, and then some uh, sponsor sends you something from the Talmud in the evening. And you, you can have all, all sorts of religious weather happening to you in one day. It can get frightfully confusing. And the best way to navigate this without becoming completely psychotic is to, to uh, have for step 11 the basic principles set out on pages 86 to 88 and the, the key line is where it says uh, about, prayer, about prayer that you memorize prayers which emphasize the principles we've been discussing and so the bolt on one can bolt on anything as long as it's consistent and doesn't create some kind of internal argument and that's, a, I found that to be a very, it's a very pragmatic system. It has no sort of theory behind it other than it's something that works very well. And if a belief then persistently doesn't work, to let it drop away and not to have to go down theological rabbit holes. If you don't, if a belief is bothering you, drop it if it doesn't, if it's not working. Um, it was impossible for us to, for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power which is God, which puts, which leaves people off the hook. So the, a, another objection, I, I, I have the most terrible memory for what we've talked about in previous weeks. So forgive me if this is a, a repetition. Um, now the exact phrasing that the sponsor uses is going to vary across the years, depending on what's in the news. Uh, so people don't necessarily cite the worst things that are happening in the world. They cite the ones that are happening in the world, which are newsworthy. And those are two separate things. But people say, well, I, I can't take step two because, and then they say Bosnia. Well, later on, it's be, it was Iraq and now it's Syria. And I'm sure it'll be something else in the future. Um, uh, and... One doesn't need to resolve these questions of, of how can I believe in God when and then you list the bad things that happen because of this line. Uh, you're not going to fully understand it. So you don't need to understand it before you embark on step two. You proceed based on Jennifer's higher power and then you bolt other ideas on and let time resolve the rest. Much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God, either either positively or negatively. So one doesn't need to wrestle other people that the, the ideas one finds objectionable to the, ground, to, to the ground, one can just disregard them. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to effect contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of, now people start to get very exercised at these phrases. 
the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things. We begin to be possessed of a new power and sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. So the status of phrases such as creative intelligence and spirit of the universe is, I think what Bill is doing is, is he's offering us off the peg uh, conceptions or concepts of a higher power, as if to say, well, here are, so I'm going to throw these at you, and if they're useful, run with them, and if they're not, don't, don't be distressed by them. So this is the one chapter where you can cheerfully cross out whole paragraphs if they're not helpful, provided the overall purpose of the chapter is still fulfilled. Um, again, we've got this notion in step two, the two commodities coming down the tubes from the higher power a direct, should, should always really be direction and power. You need to point the car in the right direction before you turn the key. Um, before you engage the engine. Uh, so in any day, I need to know what to do and I need to have the oomph to do it. And again, this is this very notion of a very pragmatic program um, where what I'm concerned about is what I'm going to do today, not what I'm going to think today. I need to keep get the actions right and then not worry about I, I've got I'm working with a number of people at the moment who've got very to use a phrase which has caused some amusement this week complex internal landscapes and the thing about complex internal landscapes is they're very interesting but they they're, they're a bit of a red herring uh if 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 I get the day right in terms of my actions I can actually cheerfully disregard most of the contents of my mind. Uh, the point of the resentment inventory on pages 63 to 67 of the big book is not to release myself through understanding. It's to gain sufficient understanding to recoil with horror at the whole barbarous mechanism of resentment in order never to darken its sorry doors again. Uh, the, the answer is not, I don't think, understanding, it's direction. It's, it's um, Elizabeth Berg uh, said uh, <laughs> the institution of the chain gang would empty the psychiatrist's offices of the world if only it were employed more often. <laughs> the idea that if you get busy, then uh, you might not need uh, as much internal help. Now, we do do a little bit of internal work, but... Uh, this is the point of the higher power. It's not about rapturous experiences. And I use that word in, in, in all its senses. It's not about rapture. It's about doing useful things today. Um, uh, provided we took other simple steps, steps three through 12, we found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all people. Uh, a couple of points. Uh, this is the idea of straight from the book of James. If you go a little way, and also the parable of the um, prodigal son. So the prodigal son goes off and lives the high life in downtown, I don't know, Tel Aviv, I suppose it would be. And he comes back to the little farm and... Uh, and the father sees him coming back from a long way away and rushes out to meet him. And I think that's what God is doing with us. You just have to go a little way and uh, you'll be met by the higher power far earlier than you think you're going to be. Um, also, I like this. The, 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 uh, to us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive. Broad, roomy. Um, sometimes people say with one of those, you know, those bitter little smiles you get sometimes from old timers in AA, but say, well, the path gets narrower, doesn't it? And oh, it's, it's the big book is offering me something far different. It's offering me a far bigger experience of life, not a narrow experience of life. The only narrowing is the things that I, I can't get away with as many things as I used to be. But the things that it's as though it's as though um, desisting from running with scissors or swallowing paraquat somehow represents a constriction of my life and my path is getting narrow. I'm not 
I'm simply foregoing things which are enormously harmful that I can then enjoy the world far more effectively. And, you know, since other um, compuls compulsive behaviours sober got sorted out, I find my, my life is far richer because of it. I don't think the path is narrow at all. I, I think this image is far more attractive, frankly, to newcomers than saying, oh, the path's going to get narrow, dearie. Um, so there we go. That's my little axe grinding for probably the first axe grinding of the day. When, therefore, we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. Um, and if sponsors are bothered by the word, you just use it as a placeholder for whatever the person's conception is uh, and to, to treat it as group of drunks a good orderly direction. As long as one isn't constrained by that, the only danger in having those as good orderly direction can be a bit disembodied and group of drunks is not so good at four o'clock in the morning. So as long as one recognises that those are channels for a power which is working through those, then one has access to everything whilst using that helpful device. This applies too to other spiritual expressions you'll find in this book. Do not let any prejudice you have, you may have against spiritual terms, deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. At the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth to affect our first conscious relationship with God as we understood him. Afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things which then, then seemed entirely out of reach. That was growth, but if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere. So we used our own conception of however limited it was. And I think this is, this is I don't know how deliberate it is, but it's very clearly echoing the notion of the mustard seed in the New Testament. This, the, if you want a must, mustard seeds are very, very small if you're not a cook. Um, they're very small so it's an idea that if your faith is very small that's sufficient it can grow into something else and uh, this is demonstrated very readily where you say to newcomers just get through to the next meeting all you have to do is get through to the next meeting you'll be absolutely fine that's the only faith which is required we needed to ask ourselves but one short question do i now believe or am i even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself i'll come back to that as soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe we can emphatically assure him that he is on his way it has been repeatedly proven among us that upon the simple cornerstone a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built so there's a lot of repetition there from previous paragraphs but it's I think this is a stroke of genius, actually. Um, we're being asked to believe not in, but in the existence of. And the example someone gave to me once was, there's a difference between, between believing that the American Republican Party exists and believing in the American Republican Party. These are two wildly different notions. Uh, and here in AA, um, and it's a, it's, it's a little joke, you know, when I got sober, people would say, well, you can borrow my higher power. Do you believe that I have a higher power? Yes. Well, you can borrow mine until you've got one of your own. And it's, it's beautiful because um, I don't have to answer at this point the thorny question, uh, the thorny speculative question of if, I do the program, will it keep me sober? Will it resolve my mother fixation? Will it resolve my other complexes? That's speculative because it's about the future. It's asking really is can I infer the existence of a higher power from actual evidence in front of me? Exhibit A, look over at Jennifer. There, that's exhibit A. We're talking about facts that are in front of us and we're back to Ebby Thatcher in the kitchen with the pineapple juice and, and, and I think it was pineapple juice and uh, um, Bill Wilson that the evidence of God is sitting in front of him and we've now it says please be sure to read appendix two on spiritual experience so let's scoot down to that
The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. So that's, that, that goes back to William James, this, this, this variety of religious experience. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences, that's very interesting because it's equating the two terms, personality change and religious experience as being the same thing, um, must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it's not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have none that nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of us, most of our experiences are what the psychologist, William James, calls the educational variety because they develop over a, a, slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. Uh, as someone, I did a chair once when I was I did five years sober, six years sober, someone says, you've changed so much. You're not nearly as uptight as you used to be. Um, so yes, other people notice the change. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months. Now, that's an, in, that's an interesting line. It's rather suggesting that is the period of time it takes to really work through the program. Not a weekend, a few months. Um, Dr. Bob, page 263 of the big book, would take people through the uh, program formally in an afternoon, including basically everything up to step eight. But this is talking about a few months. Could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have, now this is the important line, have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Now, uh, I think it was Yuri Gagarin who uh, went up in space, said, well, I don't see a God up here. Ha ha. <laughs> um, as if God was to be expected, you know, somehow in the firmament. Um, and of course, lots of, I mean, there is lots of imagery. People can be forgiven for that view because there's lots of religious imagery which talks about God in, in the sky and so on, but, uh, but it, it, it's metaphor. Um, and normally people do understand that it's, it's metaphorical, but anyway. But, but people still, even without that folly, my experience is an awful lot of people see God as something out, fundamentally outside of themselves. So inside of them, I don't know what they think is inside of them, apart from sort of, you know, their spleen or something, but there's nothing inside that there's this thing outside. Now, outside of you is inside something else. So it doesn't really, I don't understand what is out, where, where outside, in the avocado, in the fridge, under the bed, in, you know, in your aunt, where, where, where it, <laughs> So it's a lack of imagination, this idea of something which is metaphysical, something which is beyond the physical. But here it's taking a different tack. It's saying it's within you. Um, uh, page 55, it's going to say the same thing. It's deep down within each person, this fundamental idea of God. And the images to work, and this, the reason this is very, I'll give you a couple of images in a moment. The reason I think this is very useful to work with with sponsors is to say, look, pumpkin you're sitting on it already it's been there the whole time but you haven't realized because you've been distracted with your xbox and whatever else you've been playing with for the past decade or two uh but uh it's it, it treated like an unused mechanism within you 
And people buy that generally, people buy that idea much more readily than the idea that there is something uh, uh, outside themselves in the world somewhere that they're supposed to access. Uh, some images, Don Pritz uses the image that when you're trying to get the gold at the bottom of the river, if the water is all murky because you're splashing around in it, you can't see the gold. You have to let the water settle, then you see the gold. Um, uh, Jim Willis, amongst many other people, uses the, the Michelangelo image of, I'm sure this is apocryphal, I haven't tested this out. Is Evan here? I can't see Evan. Uh, if, if he is here, he can go and look this up for us. Uh, whether the Michelangelo story is apocryphal. Hmm? Oh, good, yes. So whether it's apocryphal, when someone said to Michelangelo, how did you manage to carve the statue of David? And he said, well, I took a piece of marble and cut and chipped away everything that wasn't David, and ta-da, there was the statue of David. So we're chipping away everything that is not God, and you end up with finding God inside yourself. Uh, it's echoed in the big book also, in, in Bill's story, where he uh, says that he'd had this experience of the presence of God, but it had been um, uh, uh, drowned out by worldly clamours, and it talks about the same thing in We Agnostics, but it's obscured by uh, pomp, calamity, and worship of other things. So we'll, we'll look at that in more detail when we get there. But it's this idea that there's something there. There's a, it's a program of subtraction, not addition. This thing shows up. Now, to get away from the solipsism of having your own, you know, there's a funny little thing that people say. I remember someone at my home group many years ago, he said, oh, I love AA. I've got my big book. I've got my 12 and 12. I've got my meetings. I've got my higher power like he possesses them. Like you can possess your big book, you can possess your living sober, but you are inside the meeting. The meeting doesn't belong to you, you belong to the meeting. That uh, you belong to God, God doesn't belong to you. But how, how do you square this with the inner resource being inside? And there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a little cute image which helps when people can't reconcile this. If you go onto your computer and go to Wikipedia, you can look up uh, relatively reliable information about almost any imaginable topic. Now you're accessing that from a terminal in your home. Um, now, if that terminal is shut down and under the bed, you won't know it's there. And our job in AA is to, act, is to get that terminal out, get the computer out, hook it up, and uh, then you can access anything. But only a fool would believe that the entire contents of Wikipedia are trapped inside your computer and that all of the people that you're contacting on Zoom are also trapped inside your computer and live there. When you shut the lid, all the people on Zoom are waiting inside your computer. And, and so that's the image, the, uh, uh, the inner resource that one accesses, I think, is, can be helpfully conceptualised as connected with everybody else's inner resource, that it, it has a connection to the outside. It's not a self-enclosed biosphere, it's, 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 a connect, it, it's a connection to the grid. Uh, most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can be defeated only by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. So we've really covered that earlier. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spiritual, spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of uh, are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. Um, willingness, honesty, and yes. So those three things, and it's, it's really in the it's the wrong order. It's the other, it's the wrong way around. Really, it should be honesty. I've got a terrible problem, and I don't have a solution. Open mindedness. 
Maybe someone else has a solution. Willingness, show me what to do. Um, so Evans posted, yes, the comment clearly isn't from Michelangelo, but the, uh, there we go. That, that's, that's the idea, which is useful though, obviously, but it's, I'm glad uh, we've had that cleared up. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Mark Houston rephrases that very helpfully as an ex... Uh, <laughs> now, this is a bit naughty. I shouldn't, I shouldn't really say this, but I'm quoting someone else so I can get away with it. Um, he was talking to a Catholic priest, and he was very proud of this. I, I don't think one should be proud of it, but it does illustrate a useful point. He was talking to a Catholic priest, and he was asking the Catholic priest, or rather the Catholic priest, was volunteering information about heaven. Um, and Mark Houston said, well, what's your experience of heaven? And of course, it can't be answered. Now, it's a little bit naughty, there because, uh, because it very clearly is. It's not really proceeding in good faith in any sense of the phrase good faith. But the point is that it, if I haven't yet done the program, I shouldn't scoff at what it might do. The, the genuine, and this is, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, sometimes uh, sponsees think they're very, being very clever when they say, well, I'm scientific. Okay, are you? You're scientific, are you? Marvellous. Well, we've got some data in, and the data, suggests that, that, that Bobby and Jennifer and Algernon are sober based on the programme. We've got a theory. Our theory, uh, uh, which is an explanatory abstraction, our scientific theory, is that we think there might be a system behind this, um, uh, which means that they have their lives haven't improved just by chance. We've got this theory that there might be a system which can activate that reliably. So can we reproduce the effects that we've got in those others? Would you care to be part of this experiment and take every single action set out in the big book, just as they have done, just to see if the results are replicated? Unfortunately, claiming a um, scientific mindset rather commits you, if you're going to run uh, credibility there, it commits you to undertaking the experiment and keeping your big fat mouth shut until it's completed in order not to queer the pitch. The point about a scientific experiment is that you quietly and soberly gather the data, you conduct it. You conduct the experiment without prejudging what you think the result is gonna be. So, um, so one's got to think very carefully before coming up with objections to the program if you've got an experienced sponsor because that you'll get checkmated in a couple of moves. Um, uh, by the way, this quotation that we're on the day of debunking things, this quotation does not originate in Herbert or indeed any other Spencer. Um, now, this is not, um, th there was a rather provocative person on the, in the earlier days of the internet, I don't know what's happening, Agent Orange, who uh, went on this sort of one-man crusade to uh, attack AA from every possible ang angle, and he, oh, he went to town on this one, let me tell you. So it doesn't originate in him, but it's not, I don't think it's Bill's fault. I think there was a chain. Someone misattributed it to Herbert Spencer. It got changed in Chinese whispers. And then Bill lifted it from somewhere, but didn't check his sources. So I think we can forgive him for that. Well, I'm going to forgive him for that. You can do what you want. Um, where are we? Page 40, there's 47. This was great news to us, but we had assumed we could not uh, make use of spiritual principles unless we accepted many things on faith which seemed difficult to believe. When people presented us with spiritual approaches, how frequently did we all say, I wish I had what this man has, that man has. I'm sure it would work for me if I could only believe as he believes, but I cannot accept as surely true the many articles of faith which are so plain to him. So it's comforting to learn that we could commence at a simpler level. And the simpler level, just to be clear about this, um, if you take the proposition, the program works because of the higher power, uh, to test that out, you take an action of the program and see if it works. And a, a very good test is when a sponsee has 
a, wob a wobbly day, uh, either in relation to alcohol or just some sort of more general neurotic wobble. And you tell them, go to a meeting and do your other daily things and give me a call tomorrow. And, um, uh, and then phone me tomorrow morning. And they phone you the next morning. You say, how do you feel now? And they say, oh, I, I feel a bit better. It's like, I went to a meeting. I talked to a couple of people, did my prayers, had my dinner, went to bed. Fine. I'm all right. Are you glad you didn't drink yesterday? Yes. Good. So that's work. And that's just a microcosm of the whole thing working. So that the, the only faith which is required is the faith, is the, um, is the courage to take actions today. That's it. The faith is the courage to take actions today. Clancy puts this brilliantly. He says, um, taking actions you don't believe in because the person who's suggesting them is doing better than you. And that's the only faith that's required, I think. Besides a seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. Many of us have been so touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. If you weren't bristling with antagonism before you read this paragraph, this paragraph will do it for you, let me tell you. Um, so people who are already skeptical will recognize themselves in this and get very agitated even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism this sort of thing and this is brilliant this sort of thing had to be abandoned so again not wrestled with you don't wrestle with it you say you're going to have to set it aside and you give people the set aside prayer for a week or a fortnight and that may need to happen more than once before people are genuinely willing to do it Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. And this is the point. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Sometimes this was a tedious process. We hoped no one else would be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. There's a note of caution, though. Uh, I had a sponsor a few years ago who was incredibly resistant to all sorts of very challenging aspects of the program, like going to meetings, talking to other human beings, a big problem in these areas. And they conceded with a, a, a huge amount of reluctance and sort of teenage petulance that they had to do the program. And so we proceeded. But I think it was a mistake in retrospect because they hadn't surrendered. They were complying out of good sense, but the beast hadn't been tamed. And um, Harry M. Tebout, T-I-E-B-O-U-T, was a psychiatrist, psychotherapist or psychiatrist? I think a psychiatrist. Um, yes, Claire says yes. Uh, that means it's true. Who uh, <laughs> was a trustee of AA in the 1950s. He writes very well on, on the difference, the qualitative difference between compliance and surrender. How when someone is surrendered, there's a lightness to them, which someone who is complying doesn't have. And the thing is, if the beast isn't, uh, uh, if the beast isn't, beast isn't taken out and shot, frankly, it, it's only going to, to gain in strength throughout the process and it comes and, and bites everyone later on. So I think one, one's not got to be in practice, one's got to be not just glumly resigned to the idea of program, but actively enthusiastic and cheerful about, at least to have some degree of cheerfulness about it. Um, uh, doing it with, you know, uh, uh, dragging the sort of gammy leg of your, um, old ideas behind you doesn't work and it's going to say this on page 58 that we had to let go of our old ideas entirely by the way if your sponsor ever sends you as a screenshot that line from page 58 we had to let go of our old ideas entirely the result was nil until then you know that the discussion on whatever the topic is is now over <laughs> that you're not going to get any further we're done on that right once that light, it's like Mornington Crescent, the game is over.
Um, sometimes, rather than um, uh, something Joe says about sponsorship is don't pick on my passes. If someone is going to argue with it, I mean, you can answer legitimate questions and you have to judge where that it tips over from legitimate questions into just trying to, to argue with things. You just have to let people go. You have to let them drink again. You have to let them carry on suffering until the resistance goes from the inside. Um, I don't, I'm probably talked about this the, the, before the, the, the germ, I think it's a German fairy tale. I'm sure Evan can enlighten us uh, later on if it's not about the little porridge pot. So in, in this village, have I told this one, Alistair, about the little porridge pot? That ring a bell? Claire is shaking her head, therefore I've not said it. Uh, uh, the little porridge pot. Uh, so it's a little marriage, ma uh, 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 little magical porridge pot. And of course, it, uh, you know, in the Middle Ages, food scarcity was an actual thing. There would be droughts and famines and all sorts of things. The magic porridge pot would produce porridge magically, any quantity you want. But they, in this village, they forget what the magic word is to turn off the porridge pot. So the porridge pot continues to produce porridge, more and more porridge until the, the whole village is now flooded with porridge. And the thing about questions, the danger of answering questions sponsees have about the spiritual side of the program, or the, um, I know the program is spiritual in nature, but you know what, I'm, you know what I mean, the spiritual bits of it. Um, the danger is by us answering the question, you're just creating scope for more questions to be answered. The user bride, very good, the sweet brew. Um, oh, I, <laughs> Seamus has got a rather provocative question I'll come to in a moment. Uh, <laughs> very good. Um, what was the point? A porridge pot, porridge pot, yes. So. Um, the son I was talking to for a while, and I thought I was doing, oh, I thought I'm doing such good work with this person. I, we've all, oh, we've really put these questions to bed. I've really given, I think, I, oh, I've given marvellous answers. I wish I'd had someone to give me these answers when I was new, but now, I, and all I'm doing is passing on things that other people have passed on to me. And, oh, it's been marvellous. But what I realized after a while is that the little porridge pot, in other words, the question producer, although I could take the porridge that the quest that the porridge pot was producing and uh, you know and, and and swallow it and dole it out to people, I didn't know the magic words to turn off the porridge pot. And the next day, uh, the call would come in. I have five questions. Oh, God. And we're back at square. We're just back at square one again. And then suddenly there'd be a, I don't believe in AA. And it reminded me, it reminded me of a Clancy story about the 12th step call late at night. Have I told this one? Does this one ring a bell? Where uh, Seamus is gesticulating. Does that mean you've heard it? Do I need to tell it again? I do need to tell it again. I've heard it, but it might have been on another series. Another okay. So, so Clancy gets this call from someone in the group who's slipped. And, and he goes over and he helps him. He sits with him all night. He talks about AM. He really thinks they've got somewhere. He gets home. He has an hour and a half sleep. He gets in the shower. He, he's knackered. But he feels amazing because how helpful he's been. And just before he's about to leave for work, the call comes in from this slipper that says, Clancy, it's Jim. And Clancy says, oh, it's wonderful. What can I do for you, Jim? And he says, I thought you said you were going to come over. Of course, the chap was in blackout the whole time, had no recollection of anything to being said. And with very intense questioners about the programme, I find that there's a form of amnesia. Even though everything is understood at the time, it's as though people are in some form of blackout and none of it will be retained. Even if they've been taking notes, none of it will have any impact on the content of tomorrow's questions. 
Um, so I'm skeptical about answering questions now. Uh, and I you, you often have to just let people get to a point where they're just ready to uh, swallow the medicine without wanting to read the package leaflet. Um, actually, no, no. You let them read the package leaflet, but they want a guided tour of the factory where the you know pharmaceuticals are being made. That's that's what the questions are like. Oh, so Shavis's question about what about other understandings of the word spiritual, e.g., new age, burning feathers, smudging, etc. Um, I've spent too much time in Arizona to answer this question in an unbiased fashion. <laughs> Um, what I would say about those sorts of things, I was very, I used to be very sniffy about, uh, you know, the sort of, uh, uh, the doorknob higher power. Now, of course, it is silly that in, on one level, the idea of your doorknob or the number 11 bus being a higher power until that what, what made me more uh, or less sort of moralizing and Forty about these things. If you pray, are you still? Yes, you're still there. If you pray hard enough to a rock, it will come alive. In other words, if you think a practice is helping you, it's going to help you, even if it looks like absolute nonsense to other people. So um, my view with this sort of thing is knock yourself out. If, if something helps, it helps. Um, I, I have heard of people having sort of, you know, being Satanists and trying to reconcile the AA program to that. And uh, I don't know about that, but certainly all the new age stuff, I've had sponsees that go to town on that and absolutely love people are psychics. You know, they do readings for people and seances and they love all that and they've got a lovely program they share very well at meetings help a lot of people say things which are useful to me so who knows and and i had i i once paid for a session i've never shared this publicly i paid for the session with a course in miracles teacher who i, I almost can't say the words he did my astrology chart. Um, now, I don't know why what he said was accurate. You know, maybe some people are just really good at getting someone's measure in the first sentence. I've had old timers in AA who get, some, who get my measure in the first sentence. Um, uh, <laughs> I was with a sponsee in Texas many years ago. Um, and the sponsee had lots and lots of degrees, one degree after another. I don't know if he was on his fourth or his fifth. And um, uh, I think they'd known each other at this point for about four minutes. We were having breakfast. We we're in a, in a Mexican uh, breakfast restaurant in, in Texas. And Joe's opening question to this chap was, so, What's with all the degrees then? And the bloke went very red and spoke ill of my sponsor. Very soon afterwards, what does he know about? But he, the, there was something going on there and, and my sponsor uh, twigged. Once I was in a, um, uh, a, a restaurant, this with a different sponsor in, in, in Las Vegas. And it was a Thai restaurant, it was with my sponsor, uh, my friend, and uh, my sponsor's wife, and I went to the loo, and during the meal, I'd been talking, Joe had been talking, Suzanne had been talking, this other chap had been very, very quiet. And they'd never met this other AA before. And I went to the loo, I came back, and my friend was crying because the basically the first thing my sponsor had asked had pulled out this whole layer of truth which was in there. Uh, now, the... So even with astrology, who knows if people aren't using it as a mechanism to uh, recruit insight, which is coming from somewhere else. I don't know uh, that this is why I'm open minded about these things. If it helps people, it helps them. Um, 
there's a question here. When you're previously speaking about something being too resistant to the program to get it, where is the line between being too resistant and just having a bad time? I guess it is hard to be cheerful, especially in early sobriety when you face all the problems that have been piled up since drinking. Uh, yes, and you cannot uh, ask questions in the chat. That's very good. Yes, when I was saying that, I realized that I'd only sort of said uh, half of, of, of the position there. There's a difference in flavor between someone who is, as it were, intellectually resistant, but is willing to give their energy to the process, even though it's just awful, but they're willing to give the energy to the process. Um, sorry, I, I muddled myself. One hand, you've got someone who's intellectually resistant. Um, on the other hand, you've got someone who's intellectually open-minded, but suffering a lot. Uh, so when I say giving yourself to it cheerfully, um, it's without resentment against the person that's offering you the help. And so you're saying, I'm willing to do this. I'm feeling absolutely awful. And I mean, I, I have to say, I had this when I was about 17, 18 years sober. I had a, a, a rough patch. You could actually see it on weather forecasts when they had those, you know, um, uh, um, satellite images of London. There was this dark cloud over, over Shoreditch for about six months. Um, I was intellectually open to what my sponsor was saying, which was, you're going to be fine. You need to take the following actions. You've been a jerk. You need to cut it out. This is what you need to do instead. I was having a rotten time, but I gave myself to the actions cheerfully, even though I wasn't feeling cheerful the whole time. And in, in giving myself, it's enthusiastic, enthusiastically, I think would be a better word than cheerful, enthusiastically. So I hope that's answered your question, Nasha. Um, and yes, it is very difficult in the first year. Some people have, you know, it's difficult for longer than that, but one can be enthusiastic even though things are rough. I think that's the, that's the balance there. Anyway, um, the reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. We think there are good reasons. Let us have a look at some of them. The practical individual of today is a stickler for facts and results. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they're firmly grounded in fact. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Everybody believes them without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? Simply because it is impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. His use of the word assumption there is not ideal. I'm not going to go into an analysis of why. But there's an important point about a theory. Um, uh, the, I, I mentioned this before, that the... the theoretical physicist uh, called Linda, L-I-N-D-E, Russian physicist working in America, who says that our theories in classical physics and in uh, Newtonian physics and in quantum physics, they are explanatory abstractions. They're not descriptions of fact. They're explanations for the things that we can have access to, which is our experience. So if you jump out of, if you, if you, um, if you jump down from a step, you'll experience some form of, of, of you'll experience momentum. If you drop two items out of the, the Tower of Pisa uh, of different uh, masses, they'll drop at the wind resistance is the same, they'll drop at the same speed. There are, these are experiences. And the physics that we understand is an explanation of that. And that's what's going on in this chapter. It's answering, it's all about saying, we've got a theory as to why uh, Jennifer is sober and Bobby is sober and Algernon is sober, but only because we've got the fact in front of us that these people are sober. And so our theory is simply it, it, an explanation for it. And here's why, it's that this is such an important point, I think. If you, if you disprove, if you disprove the 
uh, particular explanation, you're still left with the fact which is unexplained. So if you say, if, if you were to disprove gravity uh, somehow, you're still left with the phenomenon of dropping the musket ball and the cannonball out of the Tower of Pisa and having them hit the ground at the same time. You're still left with the experience which must be explained. So if it isn't a higher power that is keeping all these people in my home group sober, it must be something else. And whatever it is, has higher power-like characteristics. So you end up believing... I'll talk to her. There we go. Um, sorry, there's a little bit of a, a muting which needed to happen there. Um, so do you get that point? That, that even if you disprove a particular theory about the higher power, you're, you're left forced to believe in an unexplained phenomenon um, uh, behind which is a higher power-like power, which is higher than the individuals. It becomes entirely circular. So this is why it doesn't matter why the whole of step two is based on the facts of the people who are sober around you. Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? It has been constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world, that outward appearance is not inward reality at all. To illustrate, the prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws, and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it. When, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested, not an assumption, Bill, but the perfectly logical uh, proposal is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, there is an all-powerful guiding creative intelligence. Right there, our perverse streak comes to the surface and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. We read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments, thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. For our contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nowhere, out of nothing, means nothing and proceeds nowhere. Now, the trouble is with poor old Billy's conflating several things here. Um, there is something causing the universe, but he's, he's begging the question here. He's attributing particular characteristics to it, it being guiding, it being all-powerful, and uh, yes, as, as Seamus says, the creator God, creative intelligence. Um, now, if you know enough, of, a little bit about history of philosophy and theology, you'll, you'll take someone like, I don't know a lot about Spinoza, but Spinoza's idea, I think I'm right in saying, uh, that God created the universe, but left it to run like a sort of mechanical, uh, um, a clockwork item, uh, and is no longer interested, sort of sitting there with his feet up reading the paper, and is no longer interested in human affairs. Um, so, so just because God, just because something created the universe doesn't mean automatically that it's guiding. But I think one could go, go on forever about how the, the, these arguments of bills are flawed. But one, I think deism, exactly. Uh, and specifically Spinoza's deism, which is different than the British deism. So I've got to be slightly careful. Um, it, it went in a very different direction in, in, in England. Um, in England, it went much more down the path of, 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 of rationality rather than a specific idea about God. But anyway, um, the, why, the way I use this chapter is to get out of it what I can and disregard the things that I can't. And I think here, um, uh, if one disregards that particularly troublesome line about all-powerful guiding creative intelligence, um, uh, you take the basic point of you look at the universe. Well, even if other people's reasons for it being here don't hold, well, it is that it is here for some reason. We may not find out what it is. Even if you know um, Susan's explanation or Bobby's explanation of their higher powers, I don't believe in. That doesn't mean that they're not sober. It means that that I'm not buying their explanation. But there's still the gap there. And that's what's so brilliant about that paragraph. Uh, one uh, last, oh no, it's eight o'clock. 
So I'm going to stop there. It's kind of at a bad point, but I'm going to stop there, Alistair. Thanks, Tim. So we'll pick it up uh, next week. Where are we on? Uh, page 49. We'll pick it up from instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents. Um, I'm going to drop into the link to everyone, uh, into the chat, sorry, a link to where you can find recordings of this, um, this meeting. Uh, hopefully the recording of tonight's meeting will um, uh, will be available in the coming days. So I'll just recopy and paste that. There we go. Okay, and uh, yes, as I said, the recording of tonight's meeting will appear in the coming days and you can find the previous ones. And with that, I'll uh, hand back to you, Tim, and ask you to uh, close in the usual way. Thank you. Do you please help me close with the serenity prayer. Uh, God, God, grant me the serenity, the serenity to accept things I cannot change, change. courage change. Change. to change the things I can, I can. Okay. and, and wisdom, wisdom to know the difference. Thank you very much. See you next week, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim.